Chapter Seven of Darnley by G. P. R. James. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Seven. This is a devil and no monster. I will leave him. I have no long spoon. The Tempest. One of the strangest problems of our inexplicable nature is the choice of evil and the rejection of good even after long experience has proved that evil and misery are uniformly synonymous virtue it is true does not always exempt from sorrow but crime must ever be wretchedness hope loses its balsam and fear acquires a keener sting the present is anxiety the past remorse and the future is despair and yet wayward man drinks of the bitter cup when the sweet is offered to him and launches his boat upon an angry sea where storms attend his course and shipwreck terminates his voyage rather than glide down the smooth current of a tranquil stream where peace pilots him on his way and happiness waits him at the shore so payam walton knew not what happiness is he had drunk the intoxicating bowl of pleasure he had drained the boiling draught of revenge pride avarice vanity had all been gratified in turn but peace he had never sought content he had never found and vengeful passions like the promethean vulture preyed upon him for ever possessed of the vast estates of chillam castle joined to those he also held of ellen manor and hindsford his wealth had been fully sufficient to create for him that interest amongst the powerful of the land which he could not hope to obtain by virtues or qualities thus powerful rich and full of desperate fearlessness he was dreaded detested courted and obeyed he felt too that he was detested and hating mankind the more he became the tyrant of the country round seeking to govern by fear instead of esteem he made his misanthropy subservient to his pride and to his avarice and wherever he received or pretended an offence there he was sure both to avenge and to enrich himself thus the life was a continual warfare and in this active misanthropy he took as much delight as the heart was capable of feeling it was to him what ardent spirits are to the drunkard or the dice-box to the gambler but there was one constant thorn that goaded him even in the midst of the success which attended his other schemes namely the fear that the king might deprive him of the stewardship of dover castle by which alone he held the estates of chillon in vain he had used all the influence he possessed to have the grant made absolute or to hold his land by sergeantry as it had been held by lord fitzbernard the king was inexorable and imagined that he did equal justice when he refused to restore the estates to the forfeited family or to grant the fief thereof to sir payan indeed it had been held by cunning lawyers of the day that lord fitzbernard could not lawfully be dispossessed except under an attainder which had never been attempted against him and that if it could be proved that the estates had not reverted to the crown by any default of tenure or by extinction sir payan's right would fall to the ground and that the only effect of the king's patent of the stewardry of dover would be to alienate that office from the family holding the estates sir payan was too wise to moot the question and lord fitzbernard 
hiding his indigence in a far part of wales had neither the means nor opportunity of succeeding in a suit against him the few friends indeed that the test of misfortune had left the earl out of many acquaintances strongly urged the king to revoke the grant which his father had made to a bad man and to restore the property to a good one but they never ventured to hint to the choleric monarch that the grant itself was illegal however sir payan had long foreseen that a time would come when the young heir of chillam castle might wrench his heritage from the hand that usurped it and he resolved at all hazards to strike where the blow would be most effectual several painful indignities had induced the aged earl of fitzbernard to drop a title and a name to the splendour of which his means no longer were proportioned and burying himself as we have before said in wales he devoted his whole time to endowing his son both with those elegant and warlike accomplishments which he fondly hoped would one day prove the means of reinstating his family in the halls of their ancestors fulbert de douvre he said the founder of our family in england won the lands and lordships of chillam at the point of his lance and why should not osborne darnley the only descendant of rose de douvre his daughter regain his patrimony by his good sword happily his very poverty had removed the old earl from any county where the influence of sir payan wileton might be felt or where his machinations could be carried on successfully yet more than one attempt had been made to carry off the young heir of chillam castle and little doubt could be entertained in regard to whose hand had directed them all however had been frustrated by the extraordinary foresight with which the old earl guarded his son seeming to have an intuitive knowledge of the time when any such attack was likely to take place and to be always prepared to avoid or repel it at length however the time came when the young osborne morris as he was now called was to encounter alone all that his enemies could do against him but it seemed as if his father had now lost all fear and bidding him resume his real name when he joined the army he sent him forth unhesitatingly to win renown how he acquitted himself we have in some measure seen and will now proceed with the circumstances that followed immediately upon his return to his native country after five years of arduous military service the bosom of sir payan wileton during his absence from the house where he had left his prisoner was agitated by a thousand various passions triumph malice pride fear that he might yet by some unforeseen circumstance escape from his hands newer and vaster projects of ambition still as he made one step sure seeking to place another still higher the feeling of a difficult enterprise accomplished the heart stealing preparation for a fresh crime and mingled still withal an unwonted thrilling of remorse that like sounds of music amidst cries of riot and tumult made discord more discordant all occupied the void place of thought and made him gallop quickly on communicating to even his corporeal actions the hurried agitation of his feelings thus he proceeded for some way but when he had risen on for such a time as he computed that lady constance would remain at his dwelling he turned his horse and prepared to return home having by this time striven to remove from his face all trace of any emotion and having also in some degree reduced his feelings to their usual calm determined action 
yet nevertheless there was a strange sensation of horror tugging at his heart when he thought of the near accomplishment of his long entertained designs he is too like his mother muttered sir payan but yet i am not a woman to halt in my purposes for a weak memory of an idle passion which disappointment and rejection should long have turned into revenge and yet i wish he were not so like his mother as he returned he checked the speed with which he had set out and was proceeding leisurely on the road when he heard the cantering of a horse coming up behind and turning round perceived the somewhat curious figure of sir caesar the astrologer it was however well known to sir payan who as too often is the case was destitute of religion but by no means emancipated from superstition and who while he rejected the light of revelation could not refrain from often yielding to the wild gleams of a dark imagination in the still agitated state of his mind too when a sort of feverish excitement stimulated him to seek from any source knowledge of what would be the future consequences of his meditated actions he looked upon the coming of sir caesar as a benefit at the hands of fortune and prepared to take advantage of it doffing low therefore his plumed hat as the old knight rode up and bowing almost to his saddle-bow welcome worthy sir caesar he said any news from your splendid friend his grace of buckingham sir caesar touched his palfrey between the ears with his small baton to make it slacken its pace and then after regarding sir payan with his keen dark eyes as was usual with him on first encountering any one he knew he replied welcome fortunate sir payan wileton your star is in the ascendant and while he spoke there was a sort of cynical sneer on his countenance which seemed hardly to wish well to him that he congratulated it is replied sir payan but condescend good sir caesar to ride to my dwelling and pass one day with me and i will tell you more what can you tell me that i do not know already demanded the other do you think i know not how much you merited from fortune by your deeds when perkin warbeck fled from taunton do you think i know not that your enemy is in your power i do i do and as i love the fortunate i will come and stay one day at your house though you know i tarry nowhere long i know it well and hold your sojourn the more honour answered sir payen but let us on good sir caesar there is much information which i will seek at your hands and i know that you will never refuse to give it when it is asked for no idle purpose no replied the astrologer every man who seeks knowledge from me shall find it were he worse than satan himself but woe be unto him if he turn it to an evil account the deeper damnation be upon his head putting their horses into a quick pace they now soon reached the manor-house the owner of which showed his guest with some ceremony into the banquet-hall how now cried he observing the repast which had been set before lady constance still upon the table why have not these things been removed and where is hartley the answer involved a long account of what had happened during his absence in which the story of the portingallo having frightened lady constance till she fled into the strong-room was told with a greater degree of accuracy than might have been expected though the length of time which she remained there was rather exaggerated and some comments upon the conduct of hartley otherwise longpole were added calculated to take from him sir payan's confidence 
he had prevented every one from going in the servant said but himself and had remained all the time the lady was there you did right was the laconic reply of sir payan go to the granary where are the portingalos and their contraband goods and bid the red-haired dutchman who speaks english to come hither directly the key hangs on the nail in the passage sir payan's plan was formed at once he doubted not that the communication which had taken place between his prisoner and lady constance would lead to her seeking means to effect his liberation the moment she arrived at canterbury or at least to set on foot some investigation for although he knew not that they had ever met before he felt sure that the young knight would make his situation known to every one who might in any way procure his release under this conviction he determined to risk the event of sending down sir osborne by daylight in the custody of the portuguese accompanied by two of his own servants who might in the case of necessity produce the warrant for his detention and who would not be missed from his own household the servant whom he had sent to the portingals however soon returned with a countenance in which might be seen a strong desire to laugh contending with a habitual dread of sir payan what is the matter villain cried the knight where is the dutchman lying in the granary please your worship replied the man restraining his merriment dead drunk tumbled across a portingalo's face that makes him heave up and drown by dint of snoring sir payan stamped his foot with anger and disappointment and the rest demanded he all the rest all dead drunk please your worship replied the servant i kicked them all to make sure but not one of them answered me a syllable but umph go said sir payan fetch me hartley sir caesar give me your advice this is my embarrassment and he proceeded to state to his companion the difficulty in which the news he had just heard had cast him this proceeding may appear at first somewhat extraordinary but it was very often the case in regard to sir caesar that people acted as sir payan wileton in letting him into their most private affairs and even into secrets where life and death were concerned having such perfect confidence in his foreknowledge of events that it would have seemed to them folly to conceal them it is very possible that in this manner the old knight obtained much of the extraordinary information which he certainly did possess concerning the circumstances and affairs of almost every person with whom he came in contact and many of those predictions which were so singularly verified may be attributed to the combinations he was thus enabled to form but at the same time it is perfectly indubitable that he himself attributed all to the sciences which he studied and placed implicit faith in his own powers and thus if he deceived the world he deceived himself also it was not however the nature of sir payan wileton to confide wholly in any one and though he informed the old knight that he apprehended the influence of lady constance de grey might be exerted the moment she arrived at canterbury to procure the release of his prisoner or at all events that her representations might cause an immediate investigation of the affair which would prevent his disposing of darnley as he proposed and though also perfectly convinced that sir caesar by his superhuman knowledge was well aware of the fate he meditated for his victim he could not bring himself to unfold to him that part of his plan merely saying he intended to send the turbulent youth who as he was well informed came to seek no less than his ruin and his death to some far country from whence it would be difficult to return 
sir caesar listened in calm profound silence then fixing his eyes on sir payen uttered slowly the grave sir payen started from his seat you know too much you know too much cried he can you see thoughts as well as actions yes replied sir caesar i see and know more than you dream of but calm yourself and fear not lady constance will not arrive at canterbury before seven of the clock you know the haste of magistrates and magistrates men and can well judge whether she be likely to find a man so generous as to abandon his rear supper and his bed of down for a cold ride and a cold reception at all events they could not be here before two in the morning and ere that he will be gone rest satisfied i tell you that they may come if they will but before they come he will be gone sir payan's fears were very much allayed by this assurance for his confidence in sir caesar's prophecies was great but he felt still more secure from the examination to which he subjected our friend longpole who managed to evade his questions and to quiet his fears with infinite presence of mind the lady he said had been so terrified by the insolence of the portingal captain that she had run into the strong-room not knowing where she went and was more like one dead than alive and that as for the prisoner he thought of nothing but threshing the portingal against whom he seemed to have an ancient grudge sir payan was satisfied but still his roused suspicion was never without some effect and to longpole's dismay he demanded the key which he said he would now keep himself there was however no means of avoiding it and hartley was obliged to resign into the hands of sir payan the means by which he had proposed to effect his young lord's delivery sir caesar i humbly crave your excuse for one moment said the crafty knight stay hartley where you are and removing those things arrange the board for a second banquet for a banquet such as i give to my best and noblest friends open those cupboards of plate and let the vessel be placed in order so saying he quitted the apartment and proceeded to the room in which sir osborne was still pacing up and down waiting impatiently the approach of night the key was turned in the door and with a firm step sir payan entered and stood before his captive for a moment they paused and eyed each other as when they had first met and it was only by a strong effort that the young knight stayed himself from seizing the persecutor of his race and dashing him to pieces on the floor of the prison at length sir payan after having glanced his eye round the chamber spoke and in the deep hollow tones of his voice no agitation made itself heard you said this morning that we knew each other said the knight osborne lord darnley we do i have long sought you i have found you and you are mine own come cold-blooded mean-spirited villain answered darnley what seek you with me now is it not enough to have ruined a noble house is it not enough to have destroyed your benefactor is it not enough to have swept away the happiness of me and mine without seeking farther to injure those on whose head your detestable arts must nearly have exhausted themselves i have done enough for my revenge young man replied sir payan i have done enough for my ambition but i have not done enough for my security for your revenge cried darnley what mean you ruffian my father was your friend your benefactor 
compassionating your indigence did he not aid to raise you with his purse and with his influence till you could hold your head amongst your noble kindred of whose house you are now the opprobrium your father insulted me with his services answered the knight after your mother had insulted me with her scorn name not my mother traitor exclaimed darnley his eyes flashing fire profane not her name with your accursed lips lest i tear you limb from limb sir payan laid his hand on his dagger with a grim smile we waste time young man said he to the purpose for which i came there is yet in my redder blood some drops of that weak thing called pity i would rather see you live than die but if you would live i must be lord of chillam castle indeed and indeed no stewardship of dover and holding by tenure of good pleasure for me within this hour then sign me over for yourself and for your father all right and interest claim and title to the lands and lordship which you and yours did formerly possess and you are free as heir but if you will not what then demanded darnley why then i will hold by a still better tenure replied sir payan the extinction of the race of darnley then hold thereby if such be heaven's will replied the prisoner but beware yourself for in your best-laid schemes you may chance to fail and even here on earth meet with that sure damnation for which you have toiled so long were i willing to stain myself with crimes like yours this hour were your last for yon dagger were but a poor defence against a man who knows his life is lost sir payan took a step forward to the door will you sign said he laying his hand on the lock never then farewell and he quitted the apartment oh the villain cried jekin groby poking his head out of the closet oh the downright immense villain what a damaged piece that man's conscience must be i am all quaking with only hearing him but don't you think my lord that is to say sir osborne that if you had just knocked his brains out we might have got away no no replied the knight if as hartley told us we could not have escaped when aided by lady constance de grey's servants much less could we do so now better wait till night which surely cannot be far distant for it seems to me we have been in here an age nevertheless hour after hour went by and the provoking sun which had now fully come round to that side of the house continued to pour his beams into the high window as if willing to sicken the prisoners with his unwished-for light nor did much conversation cheer the passing of their time sir osborne was silent and meditative and jekin groby growing more and more tired of his situation kept running in and out of the closet now sitting still for a moment upon the straw now walking up and down not at all unlike a tame bear perambulating to and fro in his den occasionally indeed a word or two of hope or doubt or inquiry passed between the prisoners and jekin who felt in himself an internal conviction that he was a man of as much consequence in the world as any human being could not conceive how sir payan walton could have forgotten to inquire where he was when he did not find him in the same room with the knight on this he wondered and better wondered till his companion replied i told you before my good jekin sir payan's designs only affect me 
and possibly he may have forgotten you altogether. But it seems growing darker. No wonder Longpole has not been here to speak to us according to his promise. "'I should not wonder if he were playing us a trick and were not to come at all,' said Jekin. "'Oh, dear, what would become of us, Lord of mercy? I don't like it at all.' In about a quarter of an hour, however, their hopes were raised, and disappointed. The key once more turned in the door, and both the knight and his companion expected to see their friend Hartley. But in his place appeared two of the servants of Sir Payan, one of whom brought in some provisions, while the other stood at the door. The sight, however, of the roast beef and jug of ale was very gratifying to the entrails of the worthy clothier, who looked on well contented while the man laid them down on the ground before him. "'Now, my good fellow, and we had a little salt,' said Jekin, "'we could fall too.' "'Fellow me no fellow,' answered the servant. "'Eat what you've got, my forward chap, and thank God for it.' "'I but would have me tear it with my teeth,' cried the clothier. "'I'm not a wild beast, though you do keep me in a den.' "'Well, I will cut you a nuncheon with my dagger,' replied the serving-man. "'Look to him, Will, that he does not smite me while I kneel.' and so saying he stooped and cut several slices from the meat with his side-knife, which being done he rose and left the strong-room quickly, as if almost afraid of its denizens. "'Now, sir,' cried Jekin, "'come and keep your spirit up with some of the best comfort in nature. Oh, to my mind there is no consolation on earth like roast beef and ale.' But Sir Osborne had no inclination to join in the good clothier's repast. The auguries which he drew from the appearance of these two strange serving-men, and the absence of Longpole, were not of a nature to increase his appetite, and he looked on silently, while Jekin, without any sacrifice to the gods, devoured great part of the beef, and made manifold libations of the ale. "'Jekin,' said Sir Osborne, when the clothier had finished, "'I am afraid Sir Payne Wileton has discovered that our friend Hartley is not quite cordial to his interests.' and that he may take means to prevent his aiding us. Now there is no reason that you should stay here as well as I. Therefore, as soon as it is dark, I will help you up to the window, as you did me. Drop down on the other side, and speed as fast as you can to any town where you are well known. There get together a body of a dozen horsemen, and scour the sea-coast from Sandwich to Hythe. Wherever you hear of a Portingallo vessel, there stop, and keep good watch, for I doubt not that this Sir Payen intends to send me to some far land, and perhaps sell me for a slave. Kill me, I do not think he dare. Your pains shall be well paid. The night is coming on, so you had better mount first, and see the ground on the other side, that you may drop fair. No, no, my lord, that is Sir Osborne, said Jekin. Dang it, no, you would not go away and leave me, so I'll not go away and leave you. "'Lords of mercy, that's not fair, anyway.' "'But by going you can serve me far more than by staying,' said Sir Osborne. "'So try to mount on my shoulders that you may see the ground.' It was with some difficulty, however, that the honest clothier was persuaded to make the attempt, and when he did so it was in vain. Somewhat corpulent and shorter than the knight, even when standing upright on Sir Osborne's shoulders, he could hardly get as much of his arms over the opening as the other had done, and when he attempted to swing himself up, the heavy part of his body, which, according to Hudibras, is the seat of honour, 
and which in the worthy clothier was by no means deficient in rotundity weighed him back again with a strong counteracting force so that when sir osborne freed him he swang for a moment like a pendulum and then dropped to the ground no resource now remained but to wait patiently the event and much need of patience had they to support them day waned night fell hour after hour passed by and yet no sound gave them notice that any friendly being existed within the mansion the curfew bell the distant village clock the barking of some watchful dogs in the hamlet and the remote echoes of persons walking to and fro in the different halls were all that marked the passing of time to the prisoners and hope began gradually to wax dimmer and more dim like the flame of a lamp when its oil is spent at length after a weary silent pause the clock was heard to strike again but so faint were the sounds before they reached their ears that sir osborne could hardly count them i counted but eleven said he and yet methought the last hour that struck was eleven too oh tis twelve tis twelve replied groby i did not take heed to count but i am sure it is twelve hush cried the knight i hear some one on the outside hark tis but a bat said jekin i heard its wings whir past the window hush cried the knight again and as he spoke something darted through the opening and fell at his feet feeling over the ground with his hands he soon discovered the object of his search which was a small roll of parchment it is a letter said he but what is the use of throwing me what i cannot see to read it must be for to-morrow morning open it open it cried jekin methinks i see something shining through the end it casts a light upon your hand sir osborne rapidly unrolled the scroll when to his joy and surprise he found it covered with large luminous characters in which though somewhat smeared by rolling the parchment was written legibly pull up the rope gently that is cast through the window catch the settle that is tied to it make no noise come out and be speedy oons cried jekin this is magic the fairies are our friends oh brave hartley cried the knight i thought he would prove true but let us lose no time jekin stand you under with me and extend your arms that the settle may not make a noise by falling by searching along the wall the rope was found and by pulling it gently the knight soon began to feel a weight at the farther end for some way it ascended silently as if the person without held it from the wall but then when it had been raised about six or seven feet it grated desperately till it entered the opening in the wall which by courtesy we have termed window the cord had been so adjusted as to ensure its entrance and as soon as sir osborne was certain that it had passed sufficiently and hung upon the very brink he gave it a sudden jerk and catching it with a strong hand as it fell secured possession of the tall settle or hall stall with scarcely any noise now good jekin said he we are free i will mount first and then help you up by standing on this settle and pulled by me above you will not have much difficulty oh no i warrant you your worship replied jekin and when we are once out let every man run his own way say i your worship's company may prove somewhat dangerous and i am a peaceable man 
"'Well, be it so,' answered the knight, and placing the settle directly under the window, he soon contrived to get into the opening, and kneeling in the deep wall, managed with some trouble to raise the heavy body of Groby, and place him in a sitting position on the edge, so that the moment he himself dropped down on the other side, the honest clothier could take his place and follow his example.' Turning round, Sir Osborne could perceive by the dim light of the night the tall form of Longpole standing below. But he took care not to utter a sound, and bending his knees he gradually stretched himself out till he hung by nothing but his hands, then dropped, and in a moment stood silently by Hartley's side, who instantly placed in his hands the large double-edged sword of which he had been deprived in the morning. It now became poor Jekin's turn, who managed the matter somewhat more slowly, and a good deal more clumsily, and at length, when he dropped, although the arms of the knight broke his fall, he uttered a tremendous, Oh! and exhausted, leant against the wall. At that moment a light appeared in the window above, passed by a second one, and instantly the alarm bell rang out, a peal loud enough to wake the dead. Run! Run! Everyone on his own way! cried Jekin, who seemed to trust mightily to the activity of his own legs, and plying them with vast rapidity, he fled up an alley before him. "'This way, my lord,' cried Hartley. "'Quick! We shall distance them far!' And darting off for the thick wood that almost touched the angle of the house, he led the knight into a deep forest, crying, "'Stoop!' The sounds of pursuit were now loud on every side. Whoop and halloo and shout floated on the wind, as the servants, dispersed in all directions, strove to give information or encouragement to their comrades, and one party especially seemed by the sound to come rapidly on their track. At length an alley, bounded by a wall, closed their course in that direction. "'We can vault?' said Hartley. "'On!' cried the knight, and in a moment both had cleared the wall and the dry ditch beyond but at the same moment the sounds of two parties of pursuers were heard in the parallel alley. "'Down in the ditch!' cried the knight. "'They will see us if we take to the open field.' No sooner was it said than done, and immediately after they heard as they lay the feet and voices of half a dozen men passing rapidly by. "'I was sure they did not take this way, Joe,' cried one. "'And I am sure they did,' answered the other. "'They're in the wood now. Let us—' What he said more was lost, and after pausing for a moment or two till the sounds were but faintly heard in the wood, Longpole and his lord betook them to the open field, and soon were out of sight of the park. End of chapter 7